One of my favorite things about being a parent, especially the parent of multiple kids, is that as they begin to grow and age and develop, their personalities start showing up. And one of the, one of the pieces of a kid's personality that shows up pretty early on is that usually when you've got a, a family with at least multiple kids, there's one kid that probably has the tendency toward more being the rule abider. And then there's one kid, at least, that has maybe the tendency of being more the rule breaker. All right? Now, maybe, maybe you haven't had kids, or maybe you don't have your own kids, but, but if you've grown up in a family with siblings, you could probably go, yeah, that's, that's you, you know? Like, see some of you elbowing each other out there. Like, all right, that's, that's, that's often the way it works, that there's somebody that's kind of more the rule abider, more the rule breaker. Now, for those of you that know my kids, I'll leave you to decide which one you think is which in my family, all right? But as I got preparing for this lesson and started thinking about it, I, I noticed something about Jesus. Jesus is kind of both. He's kind of both. Because on the one hand, you see the Bible going to painstaking lengths to show us that Jesus was absolutely committed to being someone who did exactly what God wanted him to do. The prayer of, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus was, was, was absolutely committed to following God's commands in his life. And yet, he had this tendency of doing it in such a way that he would tweak and frustrate and annoy the most religious and the most technically perfect people in his culture. And there's one story that jumps out at me from two of the biographies of Jesus, the book of Matthew and the book of Luke. And the same story shows up in both. And, and we're going we're gonna to look at this story today. This first, first section comes out of Luke chapter 6. So it starts by saying this, one Sabbath, right now, to understand the Sabbath is a really important element of the story. The Sabbath was one of the most important religious observances for the people of Israel. On the Sabbath day, nobody did work. It was a religiously sanctioned shutdown of all normal work activities in the entire culture. Everyone participated, and it was rigorously protected. One day out of every seven Everyone in the entire nation took a whole day away from work. It was like July 4th or December 25th, once a week. And it says that on this particular Sabbath, Jesus and his buddies decided to take a walk. And they were walking out through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain and rub the, the heads together and eat the kernels. So they're taking a walk, and you know how it is, right? Sometimes when you're out taking a walk, you get a little hungry, a little snack sounds good, and that's effectively what they were doing. When I was a kid, um, in the backyard of our house, right along the fence line, 
the neighbor had a bush that would kind of grow up over the fence. And on it, a couple of months a year, there would be these delicious little like berries. I don't know if they were blackberries or something, but they were really good. And every now and again, my brother and I are out in the backyard. We're playing football. We're playing baseball, catch or whatever. And we're just running around. And we'd run over and we'd pick off some of those berries and pop them in and go right back to playing. It's just, you know, a little juice to keep it going. Right, it's effectively what the disciples are doing. They're just kind of walking along. They're hanging out with Jesus. They're talking with him. And, and, and they... Check. All right, we'll go to this. All right, so they're snapping some heads of grain off, and they're just kind of hanging out. They're snacking. But the Pharisees, who were these ultra-religious, super-rule-following type people, see them doing it. And they come up to Jesus and they're like, hey, why are you and your disciples doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Why are you doing what's against the rules? Now, that may seem strange to some of you. But if you know anything about the Pharisees, it's really not. Because the Pharisees actually had a list of rules of all the things that you could not do on the Sabbath. There were at least 39 different rules, different things that you couldn't... If you were doing these things on the Sabbath day, you were technically working, you were breaking the law. Let's look at some of these. Forbidden Sabbath activities. Sowing, plowing, reaping, threshing, winnowing, grinding, kneading, or baking. So everything from the process of putting the seed in the ground all the way to baking bread can't do it on the Sabbath. Against the rules. All right, so that's where they were getting the disciples, right? They were technically like reaping, threshing. I mean, that's, that's okay. Seems crazy to us, right? Writing or erasing two or more letters. Well, if you got that document you need to work on, you can fix it by one letter today. You couldn't build or demolish, so good luck doing that house project. And you couldn't kindle or extinguish a fire. Now, I find this fascinating. If your house is on fire, are you working if you put it out? All right, these are the rules. You can't do these things on the Sabbath. These things are work, right? Now, any of us in our right minds would look at the disciples and go, they're clearly not working. Right? Come on, guys. They're not working. I mean, they're not out there with tools. They're not out there for 8, 10, 12 hours. They're not bringing in the grain to try to sell it. They're snacking. They're having a snack while they take a walk with their buddy Jesus. Right? But it's interesting to me the way Jesus responds. Instead of getting in a fight with the Pharisees about whether or not his disciples are working, he points out another exception that they're perfectly okay with. He says this. He answered, haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? What he's saying is right now today, guys, right now, uh, 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 80, 90 miles down south in Jerusalem where the temple is, there are a whole bunch of priests, and they're offering sacrifice in the temple right now. You realize they're working? But guess what? The law says that's okay that they're working because God, they're in the presence of God, and they're doing what God asked. But here's the fascinating thing. What Jesus is doing is he is comparing his disciples to the priests that are in the temple. 
What he's saying is those priests that are in the temple, they're in the presence of God, doing the work of God. My disciples are very much the same as those priests. They're in my presence. They're doing what I want them to do. They're following me. And then he goes further. He says, I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. Well, now that's fascinating. This would have been a shocking statement for the Pharisees to hear because the temple was the most important place, the most religiously sacred place in all of the world. And for Jesus to say that he himself, something greater than the temple is here, is to make himself greater than the temple and to make his disciples who are doing what he wanted equal to or greater than the priests. He goes on to say this, if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He looks at the Pharisees and said, you guys don't get it. You're looking at my disciples and you're saying they're working because they're snacking. And yet you don't understand that what God wants, what I want, are people who are merciful. People who have humble hearts and are seeking after me. People who can overlook the technical imperfections in everybody else and see that what I want is not people who are completely perfect in every little, tiny, technical piece of the law. But instead, I want people that are chasing me with everything that they have. I want people who desire me more than anything else. He says, if you had known what those words meant, if you had understood the God that you say that you're serving, then, well, you wouldn't have condemned the innocent. You wouldn't have condemned the innocent. He's looking at these Pharisees. Guys, guys, they are clearly not working. Anybody with brain one can look at these dudes and say, they're not working. This is not work. But you're condemning them for that which is completely innocent. And then he hits them with the final piece. He says, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Make no mistake. At this very moment, Jesus is truly claiming to be God. He's saying, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I am the God of the Sabbath. I am the King of the Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, I can do whatever I want. And my my disciples can do whatever I want them to do. But he doesn't stop there. That's not where this story ends. In fact, it goes on to another story of something that happens on another Sabbath. So on another Sabbath, same, same deal. Jesus goes, but this time he goes into a synagogue, and he's teaching there. And there was a man whose right hand was shriveled. Now, we don't know exactly what that means. Maybe his hand was broken at one point and didn't heal right, and thus it atrophied and was basically useless. We don't know if it was perhaps a birth defect that had been with him for his whole life. However it worked out, his hand was shriveled and basically useless. Now, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. They already didn't like what he was saying about the Sabbath. They already didn't like that he was teaching that he was the Son of God. And so they were looking for another reason, another display on Jesus' part that they could use to prove that he was not the Son of God. Because, hey, if he heals this guy on the Sabbath, 
Well, then he's working. And if he's working, then he's breaking the law. And if he's breaking the law, then he's a sinner. And if he's a sinner, then he clearly is not the son of God as he claims to be. And so they're actually hoping that Jesus will heal this guy on the Sabbath. And so check out what Jesus does. But Jesus knew what they were thinking, he said. He, he could look at them and he could tell exactly what they were thinking. He says, okay, to the man with the shriveled hand, get on up here and stand in front of everyone. The showdown is on. And then Jesus looks at them and he says to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? In effect, what Jesus is doing is he's looking at this crowd of people in the synagogue and he's saying, what's the point of the Sabbath? What's the point of it? Is the point of it to be a net good for people? Is, should the Sabbath help people? Should the Sabbath be a positive for people? Or is the point of the Sabbath to leave people in the same broken condition they were in when they started it? What's the point of the Sabbath? They give him no answer. And so he simply looks at the man, looked around at all of them, and says to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man does so, and the hand was completely restored. But it says the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious. The word translated furious there literally means that they were insane with anger to the point that they wanted to kill Jesus. And they began to discuss with one another what they might do to him. So the question before us this morning is what is the Sabbath? What really is the Sabbath? And what do Jesus' actions in these two, two stories teach us about the Sabbath? Are we as Christians bound to all of the Old Testament laws about the Sabbath? Are we required to observe all of those requirements? If not, are we free to reject and ignore the Sabbath? It's just another Old Testament thing that we don't have to do. What, if anything, can we learn from this ancient Israelite practice of intentional rest? This morning, we're in the final week of a lesson series called Fully Functioning Followers Grow. And in this series, we're taking a look at four spiritual disciplines, practices that Christians will often use to engage with God and grow more like Christ. We've been studying prayer and fasting and confession And now, today, we're studying the Israelite discipline of intentional rest. And we've learned that these practices, if done consistently enough and with enough honesty and earnestness, can help us grow to be more like Christ and can help us engage with Him. Now, during this series, we've been using 1 Timothy 4.15 as our focus verse. Let's all recite it together. Here, it's up on the screens. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. You see, this morning, what, what Paul was saying when he, when he wrote these words to Timothy was to practice the things that will help you become more of the person God has called you to be. That's the point. And I can't think of a discipline that's probably more countercultural and less practiced in our world today than the discipline of intentional rest. 
So this morning, what we want to do is we're going to dig into this idea, and we're going to, we're going to try to answer four questions, four questions this morning. First and foremost, what is it? What is this intentional rest that the Bible talks about, and where do we get it from? Secondly, why do we need it? Why do we need it? What's the point of this? How does it help us? Thirdly, where do we get rest? Where do, where do we find real rest? And fourthly, how do we do this? How do we do this? So what is it? Why do we need it? Where do we get it? And how do we do it? So let's dive in this morning. The first question that we have to ask is, what is the Sabbath and where did it come from? Now, probably all of you have heard of the Ten Commandments, the ten foundational rules that God gave to the people of Israel when he set them up as a nation. Well, the fourth of those commandments reads like this. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. So this was a command from God to the entire nation of Israel. Remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. So the point of this command was that they would always remember the Sabbath day. Now we'll get to why they needed to remember and what they needed to remember in a second. But that word holy is a word that means set apart. It means different. So this, the Sabbath day, whatever it means, was supposed to be a day that looked and felt and appeared very different from every other day. That fact is borne out in the very nature of the word Sabbath. You see, the word Sabbath literally means to cease. Sabbath means to cease. So the Israelites were literally being told that that they were to cease doing what they normally did on the Sabbath day. They were to cease living the way they normally lived. How did that play out? Let's look at verse 9. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. So what God is doing is he is building in a rhythm of work and rest into this people that he has decided to call his own. A rhythm of work and rest. You see, the point is, once a week, one day out of every seven, they were to stop doing. Six days were for creating and for doing and for working, and then one day was to stop doing. For God, it was critical that his people lived in an appropriate rhythm of work and rest. You see, it wasn't all work. He wasn't treating them like machines that could just go and go and go and go until they dropped. Nor was it all rest. Everybody just chilling out all the time. It was neither. It was a rhythm of work, six days for creating and doing, and then a rhythm of rest, one day to stop doing. But then, he, but then the commandment goes on. On it you shall do no work. Neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor anyone, any foreigner residing in your towns. So this wasn't just a rhythm of work and rest for some. This was literally a a rhythm of work and rest for everyone and everything. God was building in rest 
for everything. You, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your animals even. Everybody got a day to cease. Everybody got a day to stop. Everybody got a day to just relax and be free from the expectation of doing. But then the fourth commandment gives us the why. Verse 11, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This references us back to the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, where God begins to create everything. And over the course of six days, he creates it all. Sun, moon, stars, planets, plants, animals, ocean, sky, people. And then at the end of that chapter, and at the end of each day, He looks back on what he has done, and he says, what? It's good. It's good. Genesis chapter 2 begins with this summary statement. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested. Now that word rested is similar to the word um, from which we get Sabbath. So you could easily just transmit the word ceased in there. So he ceased from the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he ceased or rested from all of his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he ceased or rested from all of the work of creating that he had been doing. Now, here's the question. Why did God cease? Why did he quit? Was he tired? Did God need a nap? Did he run out of creative energy? No. God completed what he had done. Every single day that God created something, he ended with the same phrase, it is good. It is good. And then at the end of the sixth day, he looks back over everything he has created, and he says, it's good. And not only that, It's done, and it's good. He had finished from all the work he had been doing. So God literally created everything he wanted to create. And then he looked over it all, and he said, job well done. And you know what you can do when you say job well done? Kind of kick off the shoes. You can take a seat. Because at the core of the Sabbath is this principle. To rest in the goodness and completeness of what has been done. You see, the the core principle underlying the entire Sabbath is that when you are done, you can be done. When you have done the job and you have completed it and you have done it well, it's done. That's what the Sabbath is. 
Right? You see, God wanted to build a rhythm of work and rest into his people. That rhythm of work, we want to work. We want to work hard. We want to work well. We want to work to the completion of the tasks that are in front of us. But once that work is complete, once that work is done, God desires for his people to engage in a rhythm of rest where we lean into the goodness and the completeness of what has been done. God did it. And he's building into his people a rhythm of work and rest. So that's what it is. That's what the Sabbath is. But there's a second question. And that's why do we need it? Why do we need it? Okay, God did it. And that's great. And he's teaching us to do it. And that's great. But why? Why is he teaching us to do it? I think there are two reasons why God is teaching us to engage in intentional rest. And the first is this, to quiet our negative self-talk. To quiet our negative self-talk. Judith Shulovitz was a writer for the New York Times Magazine. And she wrote an article called Bring Back the Sabbath. You can actually Google it. It's out there on the internet. It's a really good article. I'd encourage you to read it. But she was a Jewish person by heritage, and she got right to the heart of the purpose of the Sabbath in this, in this, this quote that I'm going to bring up for you. She said this, On the Sabbath, not only did drudgery, now drudgery is a word she's using for repetitive work, okay? So work that you do just kind of over and over. So, so not only did drudgery give way to festivity, to family gatherings and occasionally worship, but the machinery of self-censorship shut down too. Pay attention to this next phrase. Stilling the eternal inner murmur of self-reproach. Think about that phrase. The eternal inner murmur of self-reproach. In essence, she's saying that rest gives us just a little bit of freedom from that part of us that is constantly striving because somewhere inside we kind of negatively view who we are and what we've accomplished. She said taking a break away from work, taking intentional rest is a way for us to shut down so that we don't keep engaging in that eternal inner murmur that is always asking the question, have I done enough? You think about it, guys, how easily our work becomes our self-definition. I mean, literally, the first question you ask anybody when you get to, the know, to get to know them is what? What do you do? What do you do? Our work becomes who we are. And the reality is there is a work that's underneath the work. There's the work that we do on a, on a day-in, day-out basis. There's the, the, the technical aspects of our trade or our profession or whatever it is. But then the work underneath the work is dealing with that reality that we're constantly trying to prove that what we have done is of value. No? There's a work underneath your work. You haven't done enough. And so we stay late and work weekends. You don't measure up. 
And so we break our backs working more and more so that we can buy more stuff, so that we can measure up to the other people in the neighborhood. If you're not on 24-7, your business is going to fail. Never mind that Chick-fil-A just became the third highest grossing restaurant chain in the entire world and doesn't work for 52 days out of the year, every single Sunday, every week. You aren't good enough. And so we embark on an endless quest to try to do more and to be more. Guys, the internal murmur of self-reproach is killing us. And the sense that we aren't enough and that we haven't accomplished enough and haven't done enough is driving us headlong into the second reason that we need intentional rest, and that's to avoid burnout. To avoid burnout. Guys, we are human beings, not human doings. And, and, and despite the fact that we know we can't, we often act as if we can work and work and work and that we have no limit. A recent Gallup study of nearly 7,500 full-time employees found this. The total percentage of employees reporting at least some burnout in the United States of America today is 67%. Think about that. Two out of every three employees in the United States is experiencing some burnout on the job. But check this out. It goes even further. Job burnout accounts for an estimated $125 billion to $190 billion in healthcare spending every year. So, so so every single year somewhere between 125 and 190 billion dollars of healthcare services are spent on things like chronic stress, ulcers, heart issues, depression, anxiety, all stemming from the way we work. The our process for working is literally making us sick and driving us crazy. <laughs> and the study cites the most important reasons for that burnout. Check them out. Unfair treatment at work, unreasonable deadlines, unmanageable workload, and lack of support are some of the most important drivers of burnout. But the study adds this. It's that underlined section. The added stress from having to respond to emails and texts on off hours is one of the primary drivers of burnout. Because we are not only the most work-addicted culture in world history, we are the most connected in world history. And what that means is that because of our devices, we can now work anywhere and everywhere. Some of us, like myself included, as long as I have internet connection, I can do my job from wherever I am. Many of you can too. Most of us can literally work anywhere and everywhere and at any time, and the reality is, for many of us, we do. We do. Another Gallup poll in 2014 found that adults employed full-time in the U.S. report working an average of 47 hours per week. That's one whole day more than what is expected in the typical 9 to 5, Monday through Friday work schedule. And four out of every 10 employees, so 40%, 
of all American employees report working at least 50 hours per week. So we are working more, and the work that we do is creeping ever more into more and more areas of our lives. We're never actually off. Many of you know this feeling. You're never actually off. But here's the Bible over here, and it's calling us to something different. It's calling us to a rhythm of work and then ceasing from work. There comes a point where we really need the words of God in Psalm 46.10. Be still. Be still and know that I am God. Which brings us to the third question we want to answer this morning, and that's where do we get rest? Where do we actually get it? Let me ask you, do you think taking off more time will do it? What if you just max out your vacation every year? Is that going to do it? Is that going to fix it? What if you take a job where you just have to work fewer hours? Is that going to do it? I don't think so. Remember the words of Jesus to the Pharisees. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath, meaning I'm, he's calling himself God, which means that only in Jesus do we actually experience soul-level rest. Now, make no mistake. You can knock off a of work a few hours early. You can, you can take a vacation But only in Jesus will you ever actually experience soul-deep rest. And I, I love this story because I feel like Jesus is looking at the Pharisees and he's saying, you guys have this God-given break available to you every single week and you don't take advantage of it. You pile on rule after rule after rule on top of God's originally intended rule So now all you do is spend your whole day off focusing on all the things you can't do. You're making it more work than rest. The day is of no value to you because all you do is spend your time working on how you're not working. And Jesus is looking at these guys and saying, I'm able to give you what you need. I'm able to give you the soul-deep rest that you need. I am the Lord of rest, which means two things. Number one, if Jesus is the Lord of rest, then if you want rest, you have to go to him. If you want rest, you have to go to Jesus. You must engage in a relationship with Christ if you want to actually experience the rest that is available to you in this command. Because only in Christ are the two types of rest that we really need available to us. One, rest from the responsibility of paying for my sin. Guys, the deepest form of rest available to any soul in this world is the knowledge that their sins are forgiven. At the end of the day, whether you're a believer in Jesus or not, it does not matter. At some level, in each and every one of us, there is the question that's asked, that needs an answer. Can I be forgiven for who I am and what I've done? 
If somebody knew me at the core level, would they forgive me for what I am and what I have done? That question exists in all of us, whether we are a believer or not. And the reality is only in Jesus is the answer to that question available. Because of what he did for us on the cross, because of his sacrifice on our behalf, we can live free from the the fear that our sins can't be forgiven. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. He took our place and paid for our crimes so that we don't have to. Only in him can you access that kind of rest. And that is the first type of rest that is necessary for us because apart from that rest, we will never be able to truly rest within our souls. But he also makes, us a, he also makes another type of rest available to us, and that's the rest from the pressure of having to do it all. Let's go back to that murmur of self-reproach that Judith Shulovitz wrote about. You see, the reality is you and I often walk around with this sense that, that if I don't do it, it won't get done. If I don't keep the world spinning, then it won't keep rolling. But the command of the Sabbath reminds us, it says, remember the Sabbath. What are we to remember? We're to remember the fact that God is the one who created the whole world. We're to remember the one that God, that God is the one who has promised to keep it all going. You weren't there at the beginning of the world and neither was I. We aren't the ones that keep the world spinning on its axis. He is. And the Sabbath calls us to remember. To remember that we don't have to do it all. Your world will not fall apart because you build in intentional rest. It won't. I love the words of Jesus in Matthew 11. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. If you're walking around today and you're not sure that you can be forgiven, you're not sure that your sins aren't still hanging over your head, come to me. Believe in me. Trust in me with your life. Trust in me with your heart. Give me your whole self and you can live free from that worry. I will give you rest. Come to me, you who think you have to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders. And if you stop, everything stops. Come to me. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your soul. At some level, guys, the Sabbath is designed to help us rest in soul. Jesus says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When you come to me, you can find real rest. Now, now you might remember earlier that I said that When Jesus says he's the Lord of the Sabbath, it means two things. One, it means that if you want rest, you have to go to him. Number two, it means that if you have him, 
If you have a relationship with him, if you're connected with him, if you believe in him, and yet you don't experience this kind of soul rest in your life, then it's quite possible you're not leaning into the power that's available to you in him. It's quite possible you don't know what you have. Because if you don't have rest for your soul, then it might mean that you're still trying to be good enough. You're still trying to work to be good enough so that God will accept you. And the Bible says that that's not going to work. It won't help you. You can't be good enough so that your sins will be forgiven. You trust in Christ and his forgiveness is available to you because of the punishment he took for you on the cross. You can only find that rest in him. And if you're not leaning into that, you may struggle to really rest. You may spend your whole spiritual life trying to be good enough. Or perhaps... You're one of those people that does believe in Jesus and does believe in who he is, but you act as if the rest of the world depends upon you. You work as if it all depends upon you. You never take a break because I can't take a break because if this is going to fall apart, if I don't. You may not be leaning into the power that you have because remember, God is the one who created the world. He's the one who sustains the world, not us. Which brings us to the final question. That's how do we do intentional rest? How do we actually do this? Because I think when you're dealing with a a topic as challenging and tradition-filled as the Sabbath, I I feel it very necessary to give you some very practical tools for how to walk out of here and actually do this. And here's what I want to do. I want to take us back to the passage that we read earlier. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue. This is Jesus. And as he was teaching, there was a man there whose right hand was shriveled. He looked around at them all, and he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and the hand was completely restored. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. The other day when I read this, my mind got blown. This is literally the perfect healing to teach us what the Sabbath is all about. Think about this. On the Sabbath day, a day that nobody was allowed to work, Jesus takes a man who had a condition that wouldn't have allowed him to work, and he makes him well so that he can be prepared to work going forward. Are you, are you tracking with me here? On the Sabbath day, a day where no one's allowed to work, Jesus restored the ability to work to a man who previously did not have it. This is like mind... He's giving us a graphic depiction of what happens to and in each of us when we actually engage in the Sabbath. He is restoring what is shriveled. You track him? This is awesome. This is completely awesome. He's taking a dude with a shriveled hand. It doesn't work. It won't work. He can't work. And he's restoring him to the functional capability of doing what he was designed to do. And when you and I work, it drains us of energy. 
It drains us of our passion, of our will, and our effort. And when we take intentional rest, it restores us to fullness so that we can go back out and do and create again. That's what the Sabbath is for. It's literally the perfect healing for what Jesus is teaching us to use the Sabbath for. Sometimes I think God has this great sense of irony or like that he's just showing off because something like that is, it's almost like there was a plan or something. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to give you a couple of intentional disciplines that you can practice in conjunction with a day away from work. I'm going to start with, because there's two types, I'm going to start with the internal the internal disciplines that help restore our shriveled selves. So on the day that you and I decide to take a day away from work, to do intentional rest, I would encourage you to do these two internal disciplines. First and foremost, I want you to give yourself permission to rest. Somewhere at or near the beginning of your day, of of taking a day off or a Sabbath rest, I want you to give yourself permission to, not to be needed at the office. Give yourself permission not to do those loads of laundry. Give yourself permission not to finish up that house project. I'm telling you right now, if you don't verbalize at some level, if you don't pray through this, if you don't talk yourself through this, if you don't verbalize permission, you will be scrapping to find something to do, to work, to prove that you accomplished something. Give yourself permission to rest. Remember the fourth commandment. On the Sabbath, you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. Think about this for a second. When you refuse to give yourself permission to rest, what you are in effect saying is, I need to be treated worse than God told the Israelites to treat their slaves and their animals. When you and I refuse to rest, when we refuse to give ourselves permission to take that time off, what we are in effect saying is, I am still a slave, I am not free. Instead, instead, remember who you are in Christ. You are not a slave. You are free. You are free from the responsibility of keeping everything going. So act like it. Which leads us to the second internal discipline. Remember who you are not. Remember who you are not. You and I are not God. We are not as powerful as he is, nor are we responsible for keeping his world rolling. That's his job. By taking intentional rest, God is inviting us to trust that everything will be okay. That things will continue to go just fine without us for a day. He's inviting us to trust him at the deepest level. And so I would encourage you to pray through this. Pray a prayer of gratitude to God that he is the one who keeps everything rolling and not us. Pray prayers of gratitude that he has offered us the freedom 
to take a day because he's got it. But there are some specific practical external disciplines that go along with these internal ones that I want to walk through. Some external disciplines that will help restore the shriveled in us. And the first is this. I, I, would, I, I, I want to encourage you and I want to challenge all of you. Aim for 24 hours of intentional rest every week. To the best of your ability, aim for an unbroken 24-hour period where you disengage from work at work and work at home. Now, I'll be honest. I've been trying to do this personally for the last few months, and it's harder than you might imagine. You actually have to do a fair amount of work to prepare for taking a day away from all work. <laughs> right? It's hard work to not work. Right? So for me, typically, typically I take my my day of intentional rest on either Friday or Saturday because despite the fact of this large wonderfully comfy chair that I've been sitting in for the bulk of this lesson. The reality is Sunday is a work day for me. All right, the day that I'm usually not in the office during the week is Friday. So either Friday or Saturday, I typically take my day of intentional rest, right? Which means that especially on a week like this one where I'm teaching, everything has to be done by the time I get to that day of intentional rest. Because if I'm going to be honest with myself and I'm going to actually take the blessing and the benefit of this discipline, then I need to get it done before that day happens. Right? So it means i got to work harder and sometimes even longer on the other days to ensure that when I get to my day of rest, I can actually take it in full. But take it, guys. Yes, it requires me to be more productive on other days. But, but that allows me to be more available for, for God and for myself and for my family on those days when I'm actually resting. The second external discipline is balance your rest days. Balance your rest times. And what I mean by that is that since we're being intentional about taking time from work to get unshriveled, do the things that actually fill you back up. Do the things that actually restore you. Typically, this can look like any of the following. First and foremost, worship and reflection time. A day away from work where you never engage with God, I'm going to be honest with you, is probably just a day off. It's not actually a Sabbath. All right, the reason for that is simple. Some time in God's word, some time in prayer, some time in reflection, maybe even take some time to journal about how hard it is to not work. <laughs> All right, because God may want to deal with the part of you that is so obsessed with work and so obsessed with feeling productive that you can't even hardly take the day off. Deal with that on the Sabbath. Deal with God. Thank him for being a God that's going to take care of everything so that you can actually take the day off. Balance your rest times, not only with worship and reflection time, but perhaps with some fun and family time. All right, the people that you love most of the time for us kind of fill us all back up, don't they? When we spend time with the people that we care about, it fills us back up. Spend time with them. Go do fun things. If you've got a hobby that makes you feel good and you just really enjoy doing it, go do it. Enjoy it. Let yourself get filled back up. Balance your rest time with worship and reflection and fun and family. 
Build in some downtime, guys. Build in some downtime. For heaven's sake, take a nap. Watch a movie. Catch the game. Go to bed early. Make use of the downtime. We all need a little extra rest sometimes. Let me give you an example of, of this past week. So, so this week, instead of, because I was teaching, um, and I, and, and I, but I also had some other things going on this weekend that were work-related, I decided to actually take my rest day on Tuesday this week. So this past week on Tuesday, I woke up, woke up really early. And I gave myself permission to rest. And per a plan that I had set up with one of my best friends, we took a long bike ride all morning long. So I got up early, gave myself permission to rest, hopped on the bike, and had a long bike ride with one of my best friends. We talked and had a good time. I got back, ate lunch by myself, and just spent some time in God's Word and texted some of my friends about what I was reading in the Bible that day and just just enjoying a little bit of back-and-forth conversation about God's Word and what it was teaching me. Then I went and picked up my kids from the babysitter early, And I took them to the YMCA, and we swam in the pool for an hour or so. And then because my wife had a meeting that night at work, we actually got together with my parents, and we went to dinner, and then we went to see Toy Story 4 at the movie theater. And I got back from the movie, put my kids in bed, and got to actually hang out with my wife for the first time all day. (laughs) And we talked and just kind of shared back and forth about our day. Like, I basically did almost all of those things on that day, with the exception, perhaps, of the downtime, right? I guess I watched a movie. But, I mean, balance your rest times. Balance those. Here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. For heaven's sake, don't be a Pharisee about your day off. Don't be a Pharisee. What I mean by that is this. Give yourself permission to rest in the way that you feel like God is calling you to rest that day. And don't be so explicit about what you have to do on that rest day that it becomes more work for you than rest. See, that's what the Pharisees got in trouble for. They were just adding on and adding on and adding more rules that they had to follow and things that they had to do so that they weren't doing work. Right? Give yourself the freedom to just have the day. And it might look different some weeks. All right, the week before that, my rest day was a day at King's Island with my wife and kids. All right. One, one of my rest days was literally, we didn't, eat, we didn't actually ever leave the house. <laughs> I mean, the, the, I mean the, the rest day might look different. Don't be a legalist about how it goes. All right. The other thing is this. Don't be a, don't be a Pharisee about the way somebody else does their Sabbath either. You see, the Pharisees were taking shots at Jesus and his disciples over the way they were celebrating the Sabbath, and all the while they weren't actually getting the benefit from their own. Don't bother worrying about if somebody else does something that to you feels like work, maybe to them it's restoring them. Just keep your nose out of that. That's not your problem. Celebrate the Sabbath the way you feel like God is calling you to celebrate the Sabbath. Take advantage of the rest that's before you. Guys, that box on the bottom of your outline only has one next step this week. And that's this. Try this. Please, try it. All of you. One time. Try it this week. 
Give yourself one day where you stay away from the work at work and you stay away from the work at the house and you just engage in that which restores you. Do the things that restore you. Do the things that help you get unshriveled. I have no doubt, not only because I've experienced it, but I have no doubt that God wants to meet you in that. He wants to bless you with the benefits of a day where you don't feel like you have to accomplish anything. Because the reality is, he is going to take care of the world without you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. And I thank you for your presence in this room today. And I thank you for teaching us what the Sabbath is and what it means. Father, I pray that all of us will take advantage of some intentional rest this week. You built this for a reason, Father. You gave us a rhythm of work and rest because you want us to be able to shut down and not feel like we're responsible for the world. We all need that, Father. I pray that you will help us to take advantage of it today. Give us your peace. Give us your strength. And give us your guidance as we go about trying it this week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.